Welcome to another uh, edition of Electable. Um, I'm Deb Chubb, and our podcast is sponsored by Indiana Women's Action Movement. Um, check out our website uh, to see resources for candidates, um, particularly Democratic and pro-choice women, um, and reach out if you have questions. So today we are very excited um, the filing deadline in Indiana is over. The petition signatures have been counted and verified. And we are, have the very first African-American woman on the ballot for U.S. Senate in Indiana. So this is, this is very exciting. So uh, Valerie McRae, um, welcome. And, um, and I want you to just tell us, you know, you know why is this important? Oh my goodness, uh, I, well, thank you for welcoming me. It's important um, mainly because I am a psychologist. I, th I think it's a, a, a different, unique way of going about having someone in Congress uh, that really understands the mental health and not only just the, the mental illness things that are going on, but just sort of the stressors that, that go along with, with climate change, with women's rights being taken away. Some of the mental health stressors of not being able to pay your medical bills or, or not being able to pay uh, for medicines that you need. Everything has a mental health component. And sometimes we have to stop and look, hey, wait a minute, how is this affecting us as individuals? How is this affecting us as groups? How is this affecting us as a society? Uh, because I really believe that we are only as strong as our mental health as a country. So our wealth is, is tied up to our mental health, so to speak. So that's the importance of this particular run. I'm also very much on the ground. Um, I still see patients. I still have to work every day. Um, so I'm very in tune <laughs> to sort of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis with people. And I think that once sometimes there's just too much a division between people in Washington and people that have to go to the grocery store or, or uh, for me, it's uh, that that Aldi's quarter. You know, I've got to have my Aldi's quarter to run. You know, to get to work, and I find the cheapest groceries and and that sort of thing. Um, best bang for the buck. Things have went up, um, and to be able to be in tune with that um, and express that in Congress at the same time would be absolutely. Um, it's just so so important that someone has their feet on the ground. I am not a career politician, as you know. Um, but I think at this day and time, I think that's exactly what is needed as someone who is not a career politician. Uh, so I think this is gonna be very important. And also to have an African-American woman in there, that would be good because I, I can relate to women, I can relate to minorities and, and some of the, the things that we go through just as a nation, um, I think I have a pretty good insight as far as what is happening to us uh, here on the ground level, so to speak. Right. And currently we have one African-American woman in the Senate, um, a woman who was um, appointed to uh, fill uh, Dianne Feinstein's um, vacancy uh, after she passed, um, who we don't think is actually going to run again. So, um, and I, we know that, you know, when Kamala Harris uh, was tapped to go to the vice presidency, that left zero 
uh, African American women in the in the U.S. Senate. So this is very exciting, and it is very important that we have all these other perspectives uh, that we you know that it you know that our government is representative as you know it is purported to be. So um, and I think you're right. I think you're so right about um, being in touch with people on the ground. Um, you know, I've spoken to our current U.S. Senator um, uh, Braun. Uh, and, you know, it just he has no sense of reality. Um, when I asked about health care, he said, um, I couldn't believe he said this. He said, oh, uh, the way to fix um, health care is to just teach people how to be healthy. He said, that's what we did at my business. And we haven't had an increase in premiums in 15 years. And I thought, first of all, okay, there, that's not possible that you have not had an increase in premiums. Um, even if you, you know, increased your deductibles and your co-pays, you, I'm sure that you have had an increase in premiums. That's just not even possible. Um, but but you can see just the sense that he's just so out of touch. You know, right. what does that even mean? Teach people to be healthy? What is that? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Um, you know, people have health care needs. <laughs> and right. um, and if you don't have access to health care services, um, you know, you just get left out. And there's many, many people who... Uh, you know, even despite Obamacare, despite Medicaid, Medicare, you know, people are still not accessing the health care they need for lots of reasons. So and, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm also, you know, I have my I run my own show. I have my own business. Um, and there are years uh, where I can't afford health care and I go without for years. Um, I joke, I'm like, oh, my ovaries are just going to fall out on the floor one day. I don't know what's going to happen. And I do have to take care of myself a certain way to make sure that I don't have to go to the doctor because I really don't have health care most of the time. And I think that that's um, with people that have their own businesses and trying to make ends meet, sometimes that seven, $800 a month is just sort of really out of reach. Um, I've lived that for off and on my whole career. So, so what's uh, your what's your policy solution for this issue? Well, I think that we could expand something similar to the the Medicare Medicaid situation, Medicare situation. We can actually go to a a single pair pair system. It would be cheaper for everybody. We would be more competitive with with pharmaceuticals. We would be, if we take that big chunk out of the middle that's just sucking up money and sucking up everything, we would have better health care. Uh, it's an opportunity to get everyone healthy. You know, um, I just think we're missing the point. And we've done, dealt with this insurance situation for so long. And everyone's premiums, you know, Mike Braun just doesn't realize how you've been crazy it is to have to choose between the bronze plan and the silver plan and the gold plan and they're all the same plan depending on how much you want to pay up front or how much you want to pay later it's still all the same thing you're basically your money is going somewhere and you're getting less and less and you're going to wind up spending five or six thousand dollars out of pocket before you even can use the insurance in the first place so right. we, we really need to look at moving us to a single pair uh, situation. I know that people are afraid of that. Um, they use the VA, for example, but, but VA is keeping a lot of people alive too. Um, so I, I think we just, I think we need to move towards that as rapidly as possible. As, as a matter of fact, most Americans want it. 
but we're being ignored, of course. You know? Yeah. Well, I know the argument is, well, do you want the government making your health care decisions? And and I always like to respond by saying, well, you know that right now a for-profit corporation is making your health care decisions. Do you think that's a better option? Uh, you know, they're making decisions based on their profit, not on your health or, you know, not on a public health um, uh, platform either. So, um, so, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, it... Uh, I mean, you just feel like, okay, yeah, maybe the government isn't, you know, super efficient um, about it, but it's better than what we have now. I mean, it's, if so yes, we have just as we have the waiting list, we have all kind of issues we're having with the medical system. It's not like it, it's there's so many improvements we can make there as well. So, and we're losing doctors, and we're losing a lot of medical care people because a lot of times, and, and including me. Um, a lot of their energy, a lot of their time is spent billing. Yeah. <laughs> Just get with the billing, a lot of their energy, money, and that sort of thing is spent paying these people to submit these bills and the codes change constantly. So you have to have someone who's an expert on billing and, and medical billing and coding. It's And they change it constantly. And I think they change it constantly just to keep people on edge. But um well, they do. That is tough. I've known other um, psychologists who ha just don't take any insurance, Medicaid or anything because it's too hard. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I mean, that is a big policy insight that you have um, that I think probably a lot of senators don't have um, understanding that the way the system works for insurance is keeping people from getting mental health care um, right. because it, it absolutely is. Um, right. You know, that system, the you know, the coding and the, you know, all of that for psychologists and counselors is just it's too difficult. Um, and it, and so people don't get the mental health care that they really need. Right. Right. Because I've, I've been out. of um, I don't take insurances either. Either I work for for agency or something that right now I do PTSD evaluations for the veterans. Um so then I'll work with an agency, but when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one therapy, it's like, ah, I don't take insurance, you know, I'll take what you got. Um, and I, I slide my scale quite a bit to make it affordable for people, but it's just such a hassle, all the billing and all that stuff. And there's so many practitioners um, that get discouraged. They just want to do their job. They don't want a third party telling them when somebody, what medication they should have or or when someone needs surgery and how long they can wait between this and, or even booting them out of the hospital when they just had surgery hours before. It's gotten to be so ridiculous that it's like, where is our healthcare system right now? So I think we could improve in so many different ways. So the medical care is always gonna be there for me until the day I die. Let's get medical care for everyone. Um, that's ongoing. Um, Deb, I have so many little uh, major pet peeves, so to speak. I think our legal system still, still, we're filling up prisons. We're building bigger prisons and filling them up. We're, we're like a, we, that's another for-profit industry that yeah. needs to go. Right. Fast hurry. Uh, I work in the prison systems and most of the men there, men and women there, 50% of them need to go home to their families. There's a good 20% that should get should stay in and never get out. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. 
And I'm, I'm happy that the attorneys and the police officers and everyone got those people and got them in there. But for the most part, there's a chunk that just needs to grow up. Give them five years, let them grow up, give them a skill, put them back out there. But what's happening is that they have to keep these prisons filled. And so people are getting caught and stuck and stuck and stuck. And it's so unnecessary because kids are having to raise themselves um, instead of, or the, the mothers or grandparents are so overburdened with these extra work because the parents are incarcerated for nonviolent charges. It makes yes, me no right. sense. Yes, drug possession, things like that. Things like that, that we yeah. could do differently. Yes. Right. So, so that's another area. So just all the things that are connected to mental health. I think I'm jumping all over the place. So people always try to narrow you down like three things. And I'm like, oh no, I've got 10. Yeah. <laughs> I've got 10 things that I want to um, address when I'm when I'm in, the, in Washington. So I, I definitely um, um, want to hear uh, how you will address many of women's issues that you know, are, you know, are so far from being addressed in our state that our only hope is the federal government, um, you know, particularly um, the gender wage gap. Um, that is just, you know, I mean, yes, there's a law, but it's not enforced, um, you know, and so how do we how do we actually close the gender pay gap? You know, those are those are important issues to me. Of course, you know, women being considered actual um, first-class citizens uh, under the Constitution with the same rights and um, freedoms that uh, males have uh, to control their own bodies and their own health care decisions um, is extremely important to me. So, um, and, and other women's issues, of course, also include the epidemic level of domestic violence and sexual violence against women. Uh, I've, you know, um, put out there before. I mean, there's over 6,000 rape kits in Indiana uh, sitting on a shelf, not even processed. Um, the percentage of rape cases that are reported first, which isn't all of them, um, that are prosecuted and a conviction is um, secured is something like less than 15%. Um, so, um, so what can you do for us women in Indiana? And of course, across the country. The one thing, of course, people, I don't think they really understood the gravity of the Dobbs decision. Um, when you take away women's ability to control their own reproductive agenda, so their own reproductive rights, you're also submitting women to more abuse, um, more uh, wage differences, uh, more, especially when you have a something like the Dobbs decision, but you're not following it up with child care or, or parental leave care and those sort of things that keep you, you know, keep women from dropping off of the the competitive market as far as being able to take care of of them and them, their families. You're boxing women in in a way that. Uh, is detrimental for everyone. Um, as far as the rape kits are concerned, we've got to change the attitude about, we have to change our priorities and make sure our girls and our females are safe out there. Um, and the rape kits, I wasn't aware of, of how many, how backed up we are. So let me yeah. 
yeah, that's that's information that I wasn't aware of. And and now it's like heavy on my heart. I'm, oh my goodness. Um, I knew yeah. it was bad, but not that far behind. So, well, yeah. and you know, and, and these are 6,000 women who, along with all victims of rape, um, after they've been violated and, you know, and physically assaulted, um, they have to then, you know, they call the police and tell them and they're instructed to go to the hospital, not to take a shower, you know, in whatever, you know, beat up condition that she is in to go to the hospital. And then, of course, she's violated again, you know, under bright lights and questioned about what she was wearing and whether she was drinking alcohol and all kinds of, um, you know, ridiculous uh, questions. And, you know, her body is violated again. Um, and then, you know, so now she's traumatized a second time. And then Absolutely. what does she do after that? Then she just gets in line with the thousands of other women who are not going to see any justice. Um, right. It is just one of the most, you know, insulting, you know, heartbreaking situations um, for women in Indiana. Um, and, and that pain doesn't go away on its own. Um, as a psychologist, of course, I have a lot of those women um, that I see that I have to uh, examine or uh, assess for, for PTSD. And it doesn't go away. I mean, it could be years and years later yeah. uh, that they're still traumatized by that, where they can't have normal relationships, where they're jumpy, where they... Um, just have a total mistrust of the world where they just don't ever, they can't go out and relate to people the way uh, normal people do. So it affects them in the long run. Um, and fighting back, it's most of them just give up as right. far as why, why bother. And then if you become pregnant as a result of that rape, um, then you've got 10 weeks to figure it all out and you know attest to the rape and show the police report, um, you know, of, there is a very small fraction of women who actually even file police reports. So, you know, if you become pregnant and you are raped and you don't have a police report to back that up, um, you know, you've got to go out of state. Uh, and, you know, that means you've got to come up with a lot of money. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to pay for the abortion too, if that's what you want to do. Uh, so, I mean, it's, you know, women are just put in this position. I actually um, spoke to an attorney once who uh, thought about um, the 13th Amendment, um, about whether uh, Indiana's ban on abortions violates the uh, 13th Amendment against um, slavery. So it's, uh, you know, is this is this a, a way of um, making women, you know, financially um, uh, deficient? Um, because of this law, does this law, you know, keep women from, I mean, it is kind of unpaid work. Nobody pays you, you know, to be pregnant. If you, you know, if you have a high risk pregnancy and you can't work, nobody pays you for that. Right. <laughs> so anyway, it's an interesting theory, which, you know, um, we should investigate. I, I've, never, I've never thought about the 13th, looking at the 13th amendment in that way. Of course, with me, the 13th amendment, um, and incarceration uh, is very important. I mean, it's it's very, how do I say it? The 13th Amendment 
that clause in there needs to be taken out. Uh, right. The exception for prisoners. Right. So, right. So, yes. Yeah, so, right. Uncompensated work is not allowed um, unless you are in prison. Yes. Right. Yes. But, you know, I haven't thought about looking at it that way. That's something I will, I mean, have it on my shelf. We'll go back and, and uh, see how that could fit. I'm not an attorney, but I, I do love um, um, studying the Constitution. Uh, that's just one of my nerdy things I think I'd love to do. So Well, good. It will serve you well. Yes. So, um, so let's talk about some other issues. Um, talk to me about climate change. You know what, I would, one of the things just today, and we're talking about climate change, but I know this whole bill about wetlands, have you seen that come oh, up? Yeah. Yes, yes. So, and so yeah, state law, of course. State so, law. Right. Uh, so we, yes. we, if you think about locally what's happening, um, that's what's heavy on my mind today. It's it's sort of the wetlands are, the governor signed off on the bill that says that, that you know, they can read, I don't know, reclassify certain wetlands. Right. I, right. I think that we weren't allowed much of that dialogue and all of a sudden it just happened. Um, right. And I think it might be one of those, I'm on my way out the door, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, do what I want, I'll pay who I, you know, I'll get the benefits of this. And so just in the little things, of, even with the wetlands being being snatched, um, I think that's, again, these are these are slippery slopes where we, we're not honoring the gift of nature. We're not honoring uh, our planet very much. Um, with climate change, our young people are scared to death and we're leaving them a mess. We're actually leaving them a mess and, and whatever we can do to turn that back, we need to do it. Um, and fast and like you've mentioned before, looking at things with a mental health um, lens, um, you know, this one is a particularly good example. Um, yeah. You know, like I was telling you uh, last time we talked that, you know, I have climate change anxiety. When I see another, you know, climate change driven disaster, I feel really anxious. Like this world is just falling apart. I know that we've always had, you know, disasters, but not this bad, not this often, and not this devastating. Um, so it's, you know, and I am anxious about the climate and the world and its survival. Uh, how long, you know, will this earth make it? And I can't imagine what young people feel about, <laughs> about their futures on this planet. I think the earth will, will make it. I don't know if we will. Um... I don't know if we can keep handling the the rise in the temperatures. I, you know, certain areas of the world are getting hit even harder, and so you're having mass migration and people needing to get to cooler places or or where there's food, where there's less flooding, where there's this. That, and people have to shift, and so um, the climate change is going to dictate a lot of migration movement. Uh, in the near future, so we have to think about it globally as well. Where are these people going to go? So we can we can keep polluting the air and doing all these things that make uh, things worse, but not everybody's going to be able to go to the Swiss Alps and and climb the mountains where it's cool and and stay where it's where it's cool and and those sort of things. So we have to really pay attention to what's going on. 
I don't know how we um, how fast we can turn the uh, clocks back, but I think we can if we all just settled in and just say we got to make this happen. Um, I remember. Do you remember Acid Rain? Oh yeah. Were you around with Acid Rain? Yeah. Um, we were looking at crises back then. And we were able to stop that and turn it back. I think we could do it again. Um, I think we could. I know people are, are moving towards zero emissions. or, um, And I think that shouldn't just be a goal. It should be like a mandate. We don't need to do keep doing this to our world. Uh, I feel the same way about trash, um, plastics, those sort of things. We're polluting everything with this stuff. I, I can't get over the fact that we'll have a can of Coke or whatever it is. It takes us five minutes to drink it, but we're going to be dealing with that can for the next hundred years. You know, why right. are we doing our lives like that? Why are we treating the earth like it's a trash can? I, I'm not getting it. Um, if anyone should be under the jail and not get out, it should be those people that violate our earth, that violate our waters, that violate our our air, our soil, uh, those are the people who should have locked behind bars, if you ask me. Right. So, well, instead, our state allows those people to pollute and then allows utilities to charge consumers to clean up their mess. Yes. I mean, when people talk about the increasing utility rates, much of it is because they're charging us to clean up the mess they knew they were making the whole time. It wasn't like they thought this would be okay. They know coal ash is toxic and it's always going to be toxic, uh, you know, but now, now they, you know, the state says, yeah, sure. Just charge, charge your consumers who's all, who've already paid for, you know, the electricity and, and uh, that you've produced. Um, and, uh, you know, and when they want to, you know, build some new facility, uh, then, you know, consumers pay for that too. So, you know, everyone else in business has to kind of make their own uh, capital investments and, and, you know, they don't get to just like as they go keep charging customers more and more to you know make capital investments but utilities get that that break in yes. indiana anyway there are some companies there are some farmers um that are looking at biofuel uh, fuels and those sort of things that we want to encourage looking at hemp farming and those sort of things to sort of bring replenish the soils um I think just putting our money and our efforts behind those type of movements that are trying to move us forward, um, support them. Um, really put our money behind those those companies that are really making an effort, and those farmers that are really making an effort to make it better for us. Um, we have to put our money where our mouth is. Put our efforts behind where our mouth is. And so that that's the main thing. Support those companies that are trying to do things better, um, that are trying to find alternative fuel sources, that are trying to bring us into the future as far as saving the water, the land, and those sort of things. We have to support those. Find the ones that work and let's let's support them full forward. Um, I think that's the main thing. I have someone on my team that um, that's her whole thing is climate change and sort of the, the the EPA changes and those sort of things. Um, I sent her on a different task today, <laughs> but um, um, that's her job on my on our campaign. Just keep me abreast of what's going on. Because uh, that's what's for 
important. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, so we're almost out of time, but I want to um, ask you, you know, how the campaign's going. Um, what do you need? How can people help you get elected? Oh, my goodness. The campaign is going well. We, of course, we got over that big hump of those signatures. Oh, my gosh, Deb. I mean, that's a six month, six or seven months of running around all these different cities and events and begging for signatures and parades and clipboards. I mean, I had hundreds of clipboards in my living room just to pack up the clipboards felt so good because we made our numbers. Um, because I work full time, uh, because I still have to pay my bills, um, we did one thing at a time. We paid attention to getting the signatures. We didn't do a bunch of fundraising during that time. It's like, you know, I don't want to take people's money uh, until we know we're going to be on the ballot. So now we have the other thing, the next thing we have to do. Let's get the money in here to win this race. So that's our, our focus right now. Let's get the money in so we can we can win this race, so we can beat um, Jim Banks and, and move that ship a different direction. Um, so right now, what where I need help the most uh, is just to join us. Uh, join us in this journey uh, at ValerieMcRae.org. It's really pretty easy. There's donate buttons there. We need donations in the worst way, in the best way. Um, and it's not a matter of that. I want people to invest in what we're doing because this is part of, I think I'm really good at, at speaking for the people. Um, but the people need to invest as well in, in what we're trying to do. Um, so again, ValerieMcRae.org, there's a donate button. And so and we need the donations so we can really get this strong. We're competing against Trump um, that's endorsing uh, Jim Banks. So they're, they're into the millions. We are, we're running on a volunteer basis, but we need to bring in some real heavy hitters too as well for this campaign. So the more donations we get, the better. Um, we're going to win regardless, but let's make it easier and not be so stressful as far as, okay, can we pay this? Can we pay that? Uh, we're going to make it work, but we definitely need more help um, with donations. That's for sure. Excellent. All right. Well, and I'm sure people can reach out to the campaign if they want to host um, a house party for you in their neighborhoods so that you can get to know them and their neighbors. Uh, Absolutely. So. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes. Invite us. We will come, you know, build it. We will come as they say. Uh, but yes, uh, house parties will come to uh, any events. Uh, we'll try to be there because we need to let you guys get to know me, let you get to know our, our team. And then also, let's get some money and get some movement into this organization, into this this movement to make sure that we have people on the ballot and people winning that really understand what's going on with the people of the United States and not just, uh, and the people of Indiana particularly, um, not just catering to the rich, to the ultra, to the, oh my gosh. Uh, that's a whole different story. That's so. right. Indiana has so many needs that are just not being addressed at the state level. Yes. And so um, this is a real opportunity uh, for Hoosiers to get their needs met. I mean, I just read yesterday over half of the population of Indiana lives in a child care desert. Over half. 30% uh, do not have, 30% of the counties 
do not have prenatal care available at any price. Right. I mean, uh, you know, hospitals are closing up in rural areas. You know, how are those people going to access health care? Higher education yeah. um, facilities are closing in rural areas. Uh, so um, it's really, you know, rural people in Indiana are really um, getting the brunt of this uh, Republican administration. Absolutely. And I think sometimes they think and that they're getting the brunt of it. And then they'll do this thing where they'll throw in immigration or something as if that they're as if the immigrants are causing the problem. The problem is, is that we've got the smaller percentage of people taking most of the wealth and they're forgetting about the people in the rural areas. One of the things I'll say this, I work in prisons as well all over the state. So I've worked in prison. So I understand what the small towns are doing. They used to be magnificent, magnificent places, magnificent places, but they're abandoned. Uh, we need to get some movement back into the small towns. Um, make sure we support the farmers that are trying to do local farming and that sort of thing. We just need to get everyone moving again and quit fighting with each other. Um, and let's just, what does it take to make sure our kids are clothed, fed, and educated, and safe, um, and healthy. We need to concentrate on those things, and those things we're going to have to link arms together to do it. Um, and we, yes. yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. McRae, for joining me in this conversation, and I'm sure that we will be seeing a lot of you um, yes. in the future. Yes. Invite me back. We're just coming off of that signature thing. So I'm sort of in that sort of weird space where you're like, okay, now let's move this way. Let's get some bills written. Let's, let's propose, make some proposals. Let's get some things in writing. We're sort of in that space where we're, I just can't wait to be your Senator. I can't wait to be a Senator so we can get some stuff moving. I can't That's wait. Great. I right. can't wait for you to be our Senator too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. And um, so we'll touch base later. We'll do this again so we can get updates on the campaign. Uh, Absolutely. As I'm counting Great. on. Thanks, Deb. All right. Bye-bye.